Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. All right, good morning, everyone, and we are live from Smash Studios at Hudson Yards here in New York City as Good Morning New York gets underway on this Tuesday morning. At this hour, do you have a working real estate marketing strategy for the new year? Well, if you don't, now's the time to figure it out. What will you be doing to get your name out there in 2020? In order to really market yourself, you need to build a strategy based on the fundamentals of sound business. This is the most effective way to ramp up lead generation and get more referrals in the new year. As you dive into creating your 2020 marketing plan, we will discuss the three must-have elements. Also at this hour, when uh, you are buying new construction here in New York, uh, you need to pay attention to the fine print in the offering plan, in particular the special risk section. Special guest uh, with us today, Lior Aldad, a New York City real estate attorney, is here to give us tips on everything New York State real uh, real estate. But first, I'd like to welcome my listeners in the United States and around the world. I am Vince Rocco, and this is Good Morning New York Real Estate. In the news this morning, residential brokerage Core is heading to the beaches of South Florida, where competition continues to grow fiercer. The brokerage, which is 50% owned by related companies, is expanding into new markets, including uh, including Florida. This according to Core's founder and CEO, Sean Osher, and he confirmed all of that last week. He said that the expansion has been in the works for about five years and was prompted after the firm won several new development projects outside New York City. Osher declined to uh, elaborate on forthcoming projects, clients, and the new markets. He also declined to say if CORE would hire agents and staff in those new markets or if offices had been uh, yet established. He did say, though, that he would announce more details about the expansion later in this quarter. CORE is among the better-known boutique Manhattan brokerage uh, firms that specialize in selling luxury condominium products. They were ranked ninth on the uh, Real Deal's annual brokerage ranking in 2019 with nearly $450 million in closed sales in Manhattan. The palatial Upper East Side home that almost became the most expensive townhouse ever sold in New York City two years ago is back on the market. The seven-bedroom mansion was first listed in 2013 for a whopping $114 million and then for $98 million in 2014. It was most recently available in 2018 for $88 million and just received another price cut to a still very formidable $79 million. The 40-foot-wide property at 12 East 69th Street sprawls over 20,000 square feet on six levels and comes with a movie theater, saltwater pool, double-height library, and a 2,650-square-foot roof terrace overlooking Central Park. Paula Denunzio of Brown Harris Stevens has the listing. $79 million, guys. Amazing. What a steal. Double-height library. <laughs> Unbelievable. It's going to be great for reading. <laughs> I love that. Lots of sunlight, right? <laughs> yeah. It's the lifestyle. After having been closed to car and truck traffic during the busiest time of the day since November 29th, West 49th Street and West 50th Street between 5th and 6th Avenues, the two streets on either side of the Rockefeller Center Christmas tree that once was there may become permanently car-free if city officials have their way. 
Mayor Bill de Blasio recently said that he believes the vehicle-free streets were safer for the estimated 750,000 pedestrians who are expected to traverse the plaza each day during the crowded holiday season, this according to the Wall Street Journal. We reported the story earlier in December when that first took place. Now a six uh, square feet previously reported pedestrian space around Rockefeller Center and Radio City Music Hall was expanded during the holiday season to alleviate uh, congestion caused by tree visitors and holiday shoppers, but also of local New Yorkers, representing the first time the city has created a dedicated pedestrian space in the area. Bad news is the street closures have ended, but talks about permanent street closures do still remain. And that's uh, that's a little sensitive to a lot of New Yorkers, but we'll see what happens. Governor Andrew Cuomo is returning to one of his favorite infrastructure proposals, the overhaul of Penn Station. During the event last Monday, hosted by the Association for a Better New York, the governor announced plans to build the Empire Station Complex, a station that would link a modernized Penn Station, the soon-to-be-open Mo- uh, Moynihan Trail Hall, and a new terminal one block south of the existing site. The plan, first introduced by the governor in 2016, would add eight new tracks and increased train capacity by 40% at the station, which currently serves more than 650,000 passengers each day. New York City ranks eighth for overall affordability among 20 large U.S. cities in a study by the Nonpartisan Citizen Budget Commission, or the CBC as it's known, weighing housing and transportation costs as a percentage of income. The CBC uh, study found that New York fares especially uh, fares especially well for transportation costs, while for housing it ranks as the fifth most expensive. A location affordability is determined by more than just the cost of housing, the CBC says, noting that New York's competitive future rests in part on its affordability. You know, I completely disagree with that survey. Transportation in this town, in my opinion, is insane. It's out of control. So how are they using that to balance the high uh, pricing of New York City housing. I just don't get it. Well, it is, you know, it sort of depends, right? If you're just one person by yourself and you're saving money on your car insurance and car payments and gas and all of that stuff, then it's cheaper. But once you start adding in a family, multiple people taking cabs, everything else, then of course the cost starts to skyrocket. Even my beloved Via has gone up in price. (laughs) Really? I, I didn't know that. Well, I, I know you love it, Vince. So I I'd, buy a monthly, but you know, if you do it by the day, it's no longer five dollars anywhere in New York City. It can be nine dollars. It could be sixteen dollars. Oh, no. It could be seven dollars. It's you know, I mean, come on now, everything is crazy. And finally, although he has moved on to a new team and city, former Yankee Derek Jeter will always be a Bronx bomber in the eyes of his fans here in New York, as a way to honor this not the star uh, shortstop and current Miami Marlins coach. Two Bronx uh, council members are introducing legislation to rename East 161st Street, the block in front of the stadium, Jeter Street. Yes. I think that's cool. Yes. yes. It's the right move. Cool. It's the right move. I love move. Derek Jeter. They should put the whole, every street around the Yankee Stadium. I 1,000% agree with that. Love the, <laughs> love the guy and always have. This, according to AM New York, they first reported it yes. the, uh, last week. Local council members are co-sponsoring the deal, which has yet to be introduced. The Bronx officials said in a joint statement to AM New York, they both recognize the importance of Derek Jeter and the Yankees to the Bronx. Of course, both names are synonymous with the Bronx. The Bronx. The Bronx. How could it 
it, uh, how could it be anything else, right? It's unbelievable. Yep. I was really excited when I read that story because yeah. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. Jeter Street also sounds good. Yeah, it sounds awesome. That's like what we were talking about earlier, Vince, around the idea of using good names. It's all part of the story. Yeah, but totally. something to anchor you to that actual narrative. Yeah, and then exactly. The history. For years to come. <laughs> it's yes. all about marketing. That's right. For years to come. Well, it's so all about done. marketing and it's all about bringing people. Well, not that we don't need to bring any more people to Yankee Stadium, but I think it's a great honor when you arrive in front of the stadium and you see Jeter Street. I think that's just it's absolutely amazing. Anyway, our special guest today is Lior Aldad. He, in 1996, founded his law uh, offices, uh, Aldad and Associates PC, a boutique midtown Manhattan law firm specializing in co-ops and condominium law. With his broad range of experience, he has <clears throat> the expertise and resources to handle any type of business-related legal matters expeditiously, including complex real estate transactions. His premier full-service real estate law practice represents a wide range of clients in the areas of acquisition, development, and leasing of commercial and multi-dwelling properties. Sound like a busy man there, sir. Yes, sir. The firm also represents real estate transactions such as the purchase or sale of residential homes, condominiums, and co-ops. Uh, Lior has represented um, real estate management companies as well, developers, entrepreneurs, landlords, commercial tenants, and individuals in purchasing and selling real property. Uh, Aldad and Associates is recognized and known for providing the le- the quality legal representation found in the largest firms uh, with the most reasonable fees and personal services of a boutique firm. I will say that you are very well known out there. And when I told guests Thank that you, you were joining us today, they were like, he's a great guy. Thank you so much. Have so much much fun. Outside his practice, he lectures and speaks at seminars about current legal and ethical issues confronting the real estate industry. He is also author of the book, The Deal, which I have in front of me today. He gave me a copy, An Essential Guide for Real Estate Transactions in New York City. So good morning to you and welcome. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you. I look forward. Right. We do too. So, you know, let me, let's start with you. So, you know, in real estate today, multi-million dollar outliners are often touted as a bellwether, okay? So, but that doesn't hold water necessarily in Manhattan in the last quarter of 2019. So, you know, you can set trends and you can set, you know, you know benchmarks and stuff, but it, it didn't necessarily happen in, at the end, the fourth quarter of 19. While sales for properties priced at over $5 million toppled about 38% year over year properties below that threshold accounted for more than 98 95 rather percent of the fourth quarter's transaction volume and saw a rise by 1.6%. So a successful quarter, right? Just not over, you know, that 5 million dollar mark that's, you know, we're, we're so synonymous with. The number of sales recorded between 7 million and 20 million were down almost 50%. So again, over that 5-6 million dollar range. Meanwhile, sales recorded between 3 and 4 million and 4 million to 5 saw more than 15% year over year increases. So that is the good news. Lior, what are you seeing, you know, uh, as you close 19 and head into 2020 in your practice with the, you know, what we used to call the super deluxe luxury, you know, listing uh, apartments, $5 million and more. And we have Louise here as well today. So she's going to chime in on that in a bit. But what do you see in, you know, that upper price point these days? A slowdown kind of same old, same old. What What are you seeing? We definitely saw a slowdown in the upper upper values of apartments in the city. Um, I don't know if it's because of the new uh, New York City, New York State transfer taxes that came about that affected the uh, sellers' transfer taxes and mansion tax increase and mansion tax increase as well. Correct uh, in the upper upper values. Uh, on the other hand, we did see a, a slew of uh, transactions people taking advantage of the interest rates that are 
currently in their uh, prime, in my opinion. So it's a balance between paying the higher mansion tax on the buyer side. It's a, it's a balance between paying the higher mansion tax and taking advantage of the interest rates that they can versus uh, getting a, lo- a cheaper apartment, saving on the higher mansion tax, and still buying. And that's the race. But let me ask you the question that you know people kind of ask me on a regular basis. So, you know, if you can afford $5 million, $7 million, $10 million, whatever, what's the gas? I mean, what's the anxiety when, when the mansion tax number grew a little bit in 19? We understand that. The transfer tax, if it's new development, you know, uh, is a little higher. So, you know, and I hate to say this, but people say it all the time. If you can afford $7 bucks, $10 million, what the hell is a little more in a mansion tax? Does it really make that much of a difference but it's not a in the overall con- uh, uh, transaction? Please. Well, I'm I, playing I, devil's advocate. I'm just asking a question. Uh, first of all, I'm so happy to see you here, Lior. We've Thank done a lot you. of business to you, together over the years. But, I mean, I, I think that there's there's something here that we have to remember that human nature has a domino effect before it's not like the stock market and I say this all the time you know that's a reactive market when people are applying this kind of um, choice and behavior and action it, it it takes time to have a cause and effect reaction and so um, we have witnessed the peak of the market in 15 and we've witnessed the last four years we have had consistent plateau and mm-hmm. decline and so people want to be opportunistic, and sometimes they just have to get out of their own way and not listen to the noise and think about what's right for their family. And And I will I will just mark my words, November, December, and January, I mean, I have already sent seven contracts out uh, in, in December, the last two weeks of December and the first two weeks of January. I am now on my ninth contract. So people are getting off the dime, and they are seizing the moment. We also see that. We also see a, a much... I mean, from 800000 to $13 million. We uh, Yes, we also see the same thing. Um, but but where you have situations where they're paying the 39 or 3.25% mansion tax, where in the past they used to pay only 1%, mm-hmm. yeah. it does make a big difference. It becomes a negotiating point. So it really depends on how committed to an individual is to buying. I'm so happy you said that because we are seeing now uh, sponsors paying the mansion tax as part of negotiating. Well, we're going to get to that in a minute. Unfortunately, we have to take a break. Coming up after the break, more with Lior, more with the panel, more on uh, co-ops and condos, and more on new developments. We have to take a break. We will be right back. This is Good Morning New York uh, Real Estate. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Hi, this is James Nelson. I'm a huge fan of Vince's show, and I'd like to invite you all now to listen to my show on the Voice America Network, Real Estate Investing, live from New York. I will teach you everything you need to know about investing and operating commercial real estate. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of TV and radio shows that deal with investing in the stock market, and yet almost none that cover exclusively commercial real estate. This is not a get-rich-quick or how-to-flip-home shows. I will teach you step-by-step how to source, acquire, improve, and profit from commercial real estate. 
Please tune in live to the Voice America Business Channel every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. Pacific. Thank you. At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We are all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders. So you can move to what moves you. I'm Jeff Goodman at Halstead, and I love Vince's show. I host a program of my own, but not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is about our city's great neighborhoods, their history, texture, and their current vibe through interviews with historians, business owners, and interesting neighborhood personalities. We're broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc and available on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I bring the city's great neighborhoods to life. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their product. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back, and Anna Shagalaw from Halstead is joining us, Louise Phillips-Forbes from Halstead, Jordan Shea from Douglas Elliman, Niall Lundgren from Compass, and John Harrison making his triumphant return from CORE, and we're still back here with Lior. Uh, guys, you and uh, Lior and uh, uh, Louise were making a point before the break, so talk a little bit about the negotiability with some of these uh, elevated uh, mansion tax uh, scenarios that we're involved in today, because a lot of people, as I said before the break, kind of are shying away whether they can afford it or not. However, the good news is, though, that developers and sponsors today are a lot more flexible with concessions and back-end deals, and so maybe that's one of them. But I think it all comes down to pricing. I mean, it's like pricing, pricing, pricing. It used to be the saying of location, location, location. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I have a development project that I'm doing phase two at 498 West End Avenue. We are not having to negotiate the transfer tax because it really depends on how you're priced. So the old guard of people where I'm taking listings on that I'm the th- I call myself the third wife yeah. of the listing and they've been on the market for two and a half years and they were asking what prices were in 2015. Yeah. Those owners are now have a reality check. They are, if you're priced right, you can have an efficiency in the market. Right now I have six negotiations where there are three and four and five offers so people are not negotiating those points, but it's all about where you're approaching the market from. And I, that 
I agree with that because I think, uh, and I'm doing new dev right now too. Um, sometimes people start out with this idea of, hey, what kind of discount can I get? Or this is what I'm hearing. I'm getting this, this, this. Right. Like, then you should buy that. Because Re- regardless it's not of what the price actual price, price is. But when, like Weezy said, you know, if, if they're approaching the, approaching the market with the concept of what the actual price is mm-hmm. and it makes sense and, it, and it's affordable and it's a better deal than what you can get elsewhere, whether or not there's a token discount or not really shouldn't matter if the price is it's, right. It depends on how educated they are. You know, it's a, it, this has been a marketplace more so than ever where price is, you know, the, 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 the correct, I mean, you need to have the correct price in order to sell anything. You know, it's always pricing always, you know, in the past we'd say, well, if you're overpriced, you're not going to sell. But today, more than ever, you need to have the right price. And so I think everything else kind of falls by the wayside. I haven't, in my, in my new dev, even once negotiated the increase in mansion tax. And I'm at a price point where we have, you know, a higher uh, mansion tax. But no one has, uh, no one's brought it up because if the price is right, everybody wants transfer tax. That's, that's almost a given mm-hmm. these days. But mansion tax, I haven't had to deal with so far. A lot of that is, has taken just time to sink into the buyer because it's just the new norm. And we always talk about New Yorkers being as resilient as they are. If they're going to live in New York and they're going to buy in New York and this is the new norm, then at some point you just kind of have to... It's a business decision. You, yeah, you ha- it's a business decision, but it's also a lifestyle decision. And if you want to throw money away on a high, uh, a high rent, then that's your choice, I guess. I think it's kind of silly. Just pay the mansion tax and move on because it's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to change. No. no, it's not. It's consistent, it's constant, and it isn't going to change. Well, I think really when you look at new development acquisitions in particular, to the sponsor, the thing that matters most is their their net. So it's not even the sales price. Correct. And I think that as buyers become more and more and more sophisticated, what will matter to them is their net out. It won't even matter what the sales price is. They will look at the entire cost of the transaction, and I think that's what people need to be prepared for is people becoming more educated. Sales price used to matter a lot, then other things mattered, then we were asking for this, that, and the other. Now I do think that we're going to negotiate everything that we possibly can. No, I, I, I think everything is absolutely on the table, and everything is negotiable, and it depends on, on the individual deal. I'll tell you one thing from a legal perspective that we are seeing being negotiated as a new concept is the SEMA, which is the, yeah. the assignment I'm doing right, right now. Correct. So, so I got to... Leo, explain to everybody what SEMA is, Sure. SEMA is uh, Consolidation Extension Modification Agreement, C-E-M-A, Consolidation Extension Modification Agreement, which means that in New York, the buyer has in a condo, not in a co-op, in a condo or real property, house or townhouse or commercial, whatever it is, except for a co-op, which is shares of stock, defined so a buyer pays in New York State mortgage tax and the SEMA concept means that a seller agrees assuming the banks are cooperating to transfer over the tax payment that was paid by the seller on the amount of the seller's mortgage to the buyer and therefore the buyer will not pay a mortgage tax for the value of the seller's mortgage if the buyer is taking a higher mortgage then he's going to pay a tax on the new money. So, last week I received a deal summary sheet that stated this is contingent upon. You know how we have contingent upon board approval, contingent upon mortgage, contingent upon... This is contingent upon the banks agreeing to cooperate and secure a SEMA for the buyer. And short of that, the buyer is going to cancel. 
when I sent the contract as the buyer's lawyer with that particular provision, the seller's lawyer came back and says, you know what, I have a better deal. If the bank is not going to cooperate and secure a SEMA for your client, my client is willing to give you a credit for <laughs> the same value just to save the deal and not let your guy out of the hook. Which my client so came home no matter what. However, this is where your relationships with your bankers are important. Absolutely. Because when I had difficulty trying to get one uh, a SEMA done, I called somebody above somebody who I've done um, millions of dollars worth of business with. So relationships matter. In everything. And also in the speed of understanding that, especially when you have a contingency, you want to get that information as quickly as possible. And to have those relationships you're going to get to the bottom of it much quicker. That's why choosing the right lawyers is critical. That's exactly right, Lior. Absolutely. Uh (laughs) Who is the right lawyer? (laughs) Love that. Love that plug right there, Lior. Who's the only lawyer in the room today? Okay. Lior, so explain to our listeners, you know, the difference, the different types of ownerships uh, here in New York, because not every ownership is is the same, co-op ownership, condo ownership. Explain to our listeners what the types are here in New York City. Sure. So I'm going to walk you down from the farthest ability to own real property to the most. Okay, And the farthest ability to own property in New York is something called a leasehold co-op. Right? It means that you're not buying the apartment itself. You're buying, in essence, shares of stock of a corporation. Very important. And the corporation, yeah. unlike in a regular co-op that owns the land, this particular corporation is renting the land from the owner of the property. Followed by that, we have a regular co-op, which is shares of stock of a corporation that owns the land and the building. All right, And New York State is considered personal property, not real property, even though you're buying the actual apartment or related to the apartment vis-a-vis something called a proprietary lease, which is the instrument or mechanism that connects you to the apartment itself, followed by, and by the way, that's the advantage where you have very little closing costs and you don't have a mortgage tax, you don't have title insurance, even though you can get something called a proprietary lease uh, insurance. But moving forward into your question, we have a leasehold condo, which means that you are buying the actual apartment itself, like in Battery Park City, but the land is being rented or leased out, right? Battery Park City and then some other other uh, properties in New York. With Long-term leases, well, right? land, 99 land, years. Land, land lease, yeah, 99 years, right. 100 year, whatever, right. but they're land lease uh, situations, which are not exactly. always, you know, you guys don't like those things. Yeah, the monthlies on those are yeah, common, very, yeah. very prohibitive. Right, we have much more due diligence on, on that stuff. Because Although I've sold some of those this year. Uh, likewise, I, I've had, because of the value you get, by the way, you Absolutely. get more property, more kind of property in versus the other way. And then we go to a regular condo where you own the apartment and a small portion of the land, also known as common elements. And then the last part is where you own the entire block and lot, the land and the property, similar to a townhouse, a regular four-family house, two-family house, and the commercial building. You know, when you're when you're buying in a condo, it's interesting that you say this because I was going to ask you the question. So the small portion of the common areas that is part of your ownership, it also becomes, in sometimes, it depends on the building, part of your square footage, which a lot of people don't understand. Uh, so, you know, one would say, I don't need to own part of the common area. Okay. So, you know, w- what is that about? 
Right. So so those those come into play sometimes when we have a terrace, sometimes when we have a uh, roof roof deck mm-hmm. uh, where it is either public area or part of your apartment. So we have to make sure as part of our due diligence which aspect of that. Uh, I mean, do I own one treadmill in the gym or is it like, you know, what, what is it? I don't get it. So, so everybody owns the proportionate share of the common areas. Okay. The parking lot is, is customarily part of that. The gym is part of that. The lobby, the staircase, the roof, everybody owns a small portion. And based on your size of the apartment, the entire owners own 100%. And your maintenance goes towards maintaining that, and you give at closing you give a unit power of attorney, which means that you grant a power of attorney to the condominium association to manage those common areas. Correct. All right, stand by. We're live from Smash Studios here in Hudson Yards, New York. You are listening to the Voice America Talk Radio Network. I am Vince Rocco. Don't go away. We will be right back. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Hi, this is James Nelson. I'm a huge fan of Vince's show, and I'd like to invite you all now to listen to my show on the Voice America Network, Real Estate Investing, live from New York. I will teach you everything you need to know about investing and operating commercial real estate. There are hundreds, if not thousands, of TV and radio shows that deal with investing in the stock market, and yet almost none that cover exclusively commercial real estate. This is not a get-rich-quick or how-to-flip-home shows. I will teach you step-by-step how to source, acquire, improve, and profit from commercial real estate. Please tune in live to the Voice America Business Channel every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern and 4 p.m. Pacific. Thank you. At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We're all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders. So you can move to what moves you. I'm Jeff Goodman at Halstead, and I love Vince's show. I host a program of my own, but not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is about our city's great neighborhoods, their history, texture, and their current vibe through interviews with historians, business owners, and interesting neighborhood personalities. We're broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc and available on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I bring the city's great neighborhoods to life. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back with Anna Shagaloff, Louise Phillips-Forbes, Jordan Shea, Niall Lundgren, John Harrison, and Lior 
All that. All right. So I want to talk a little bit. We're going to get to sponsor sales and we're going to get to special risks in a minute. But I want to talk a little bit about renovations. And Louise, I know you have a little experience with this. If you're planning to renovate your New York City apartment, you have probably come across the concept of wet over dry. That's a rule in a building. It's a way of presenting own, preventing owners or tenant shareholders, um, as uh, Lior just said in, in co-ops, from putting in wet new wet areas, typically bathrooms or kitchens, directly over dry areas like a bedroom or a living room. There are a couple of reasons for stacking uh, the wet rooms above each other in a condo or co-op, but the main one is that Keeping the plumbing lines in the building straight and uniform makes it easier to identify where leaks are coming from should that happen. There is also less likelihood of a major water damage from the above bathroom falling into someone's living room or someone's bedroom. I mean, it's it's, it's obvious. Uh, for example, a tile bathroom will be more uh, resistant to water damage from upstairs neighbor overflowing tub. Uh, than a living room or hardwood floors should that happen. I mean, listen, I, I just completely finished renovating a co-op uh, 20-something years ago on the east side, and the bathroom was part of the renovation, and it was brand spanking new. The day after the the contractor and the painter left, I will never forget this, the day after he left, I came home after a long day of work. I opened the door, and I kind of smelled a little dampness, and I, I thought, I mean, whatever. So, you know, I went down the hallway, you know, put my coat away, went into the bathroom. And what I saw in the bathroom, I couldn't believe. My ceiling was down on the floor. All the paint, brand new fresh paint was peeling off the walls and there was water all over the place. So I thought, okay, so now what is that about? (laughs) Turns out the man upstairs went to work that morning and didn't turn his sink off. And it overflowed all day long into my newly renovated bathroom. Now that's one of a million stories. One of a million stories, but that is a renovation of you know wet over wet. So can you just imagine if that was over a bedroom or over a a living room or or a dry area underneath? Wow. Why is it? It, it, it's always a nightmare, nonetheless. But but I know Louise, you you've had a lot yeah. to say about this in the past. So what what is the the real relevance here with you know think, keeping to you know the rules? I think that I think that you know first of all, let's just note today we have technology to address most of this stuff, mm-hmm. and I do a lot of consultation with a lot of boards in general around in this environment. You know, whether it's Park Avenue, Central Park, or Lower Fifth Avenue, where they're fastidious and they are sort of like joining a country club, you know, they have to get with the times Mm -hmm. because you can't be obstructive of somebody who's prepared to pay a significant amount of money. And quite frankly, their philosophy should be we want everyone to invest in their homes because. Your next door neighbor that spends $800,000 renovating their apartment is going to make your apartment more valuable. That's right. Mm-hmm. And, and and neoprene and, and water lining. And I, I put my kitchen where a bedroom and a bathroom was. So I have, and duplexed, I cut an eight by eight hole in our building. So it just Cement. needs to be done properly. And right. you need to have a board. I mean, my building at one point would not allow through the wall air conditioning until I got, you know, the historical society to talk about why it's a better for the integrity of a building if you're not yeah. penetrating ornate details. So I I just think that it's technology is here and it just needs to be done and 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 responded to responsively. I, I think the pro- the essence of the problem is there. 
because if you can mitigate that issue or avoid it by keeping whatever or what, that makes sense. But I think the essence of the need should be looked at further. So rather than just saying, oh, no, that's whatever dry, let's just say absolutely not. I think like what Louise is talking about is let's look deeper into this because maybe because of technology and because of the value that you're adding, it can be done well such that it's even more, it's even safer than if you just bring blanket said, sure, do whatever you want in the bathroom because it's in the bathroom. And, and, and it used to be historically, they just used green, green board, which is waterproof today. Today, that's (laughs) not true today. You know, if you look, you know, when you're, when you're adding a bathroom to an apartment, you have to remember that the 1920s, even down to the 1910s, those are ash filled plumbing. So they're recessed down. So the ability to have a wall hung toilet, which we didn't have 25 years ago, or they were not as masterful as they are today. And, and, you know, the ability to, to recess your plumbing, to have the pitch right, is in neoprene the entire area so that nothing can penetrate it. It is one of the things that boards now have started to understand, but it's a matter of educating them I and think, taking the time. I think two points, if I may. We usually see this in the combined apartments. So a former kitchen in one apartment now can be turned into a laundry room, for example, using the same sewer system or connections that in the past the the prior uh, washing washing machine was there or the prior uh, dishwashing machine was there. Right? You so, still need a four-inch waistline to create a I, bathroom. I agree. I agree. But I think, so you've got to tie into another one. I think the concern is the plumbing at the age of the building. And that is, from a legal perspective... Well, you're restricted because of some of that, yeah. Right. However, this is where educating a board to say every time somebody opens up a wall, you have to replace that section Correct. at your money. So Correct. now the building is not I, only having their owners invest in the building infrastructure. I agree. And they do that as well for electrical. So the electrical and the plumbing, they right. often mandate somebody that, you know, within the first six months or a year that you're in that apartment... This is what you have to do. You have to upgrade. Well, yeah, that, that, that's the building's, the that's the building's way to get all the electrical and the plumbing upgraded, and, and it makes not, sense. Sometimes you may not be willing to, you know, to renovate. Listen but, to this girl. Um, <laughs> sometimes you may not be in, interested in the renovation, but it's just a clause that the building is mandating that you do. Now, Lior, how often do you look at alteration agreements in what you just said before, you know, combinations? So client comes to you, it's a co-op or a condo, and they're going to be putting together two units, or they're going to just be renovating one unit. Do you, do you require that you look at their alteration agreement before uh, the deal is done, or do you not? I mean, because some attorneys really would prefer not to be involved in that stage if they don't have to be. So I think it's important. So the answer is that every single transaction we do as part of our due diligence, there isn't one that we don't secure, regardless of whether the buyers are intending to renovate or not. We always, always, as part of our due diligence, secure a copy of the house rules, sublease policy, yeah. and the alteration policy. Right. I think that's the minimum of every lawyer who does this for a living as part of their due diligence, regardless of whether you currently intend or in the future want to have any alteration. Any attorney that doesn't want to look at the the, um, alteration agreement, move on to another attorney. (laughs) I I concur. And then, and then sometimes, particularly Lior, (laughs) sometimes, um, sometimes people come in and say, you know, I am planning to combine my, these two particular units, or I'm planning to combine my unit with next door. Then what we do is, in addition to looking at the alteration agreements, we also make a provision in the contract saying that this transaction is contingent upon the board approving 
the unification because he doesn't want to buy next door if he's not able to make it into a single unit. Exactly. And the board may come back and say, no, we don't agree to that. That's what I was getting at because sometimes people say they want to do this, but the building may say, the board may say, well, you know, not really, and here are all the reasons why. So that's another uh, Another really good thing to do um, if you're going down the road of of knowing that you're going to renovate is get an an architect or a contractor that's done work in the building. Have them do an estimate of your apartment and they can tell you the inner workings of the board and the management, what they've gotten away with, what they can't, how difficult uh, the situation is going to be. Just one step further. This is a sensitive subject too when working with buyers because sometimes, you know, if the buyer says, you know what, I, I think I'd like to do some renovation at some point, I'll ask, is this renovation going to be a make or break? Like if, if you, are you interested in still taking this, whether or not you can do the renovation right now? And if they say, yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't really need to do it. Um, then that sort of changes, I think, how they go into the application process. Like you, you don't go into the board interview guns blazing, saying, "Hey, I'm ready to rip all these walls no, out." No, well, that, that's also part of educating your buyer. That, what well, that's right. Say. There's a lot of educating going on in all these right. transactions: boards, buyers, like, sellers. I, I had I had some customers that um, I recently went through and got approved, and they closed on it. But this was an estate purchase, so they for sure had no interest in buying unless they could renovate. In mm. which case, I said, "Let's actually." put that into your introductory letter. Mm-hmm. I always have my buyers write a letter mm-hmm. of introduction. I'll say, let's tastefully put it in and talk about how you're excited to add value um, to the co-op should you be invited um, to live there and how you you just love everything about it. But let's then lead with that if you know that you're going to do it because the co-op surely would know if it's an estate, hasn't been touched in decades, that it needs it. But I think this is where working with an attorney, with a broker that uh, like understands the nuances of this is really, really important because you don't want to kill the deal if it doesn't matter, but you also don't want to be misleading in any way if it really does. All right, on the heels of that, moving on. So before putting a home on the market, sellers have traditionally been advised to make the space as plain as possible, avoiding bright colors, bold patterns, and any sort of provocative furniture or artwork, and we've all seen that, to appeal to the largest possible pool of buyers. And developers have largely followed suit, creating model homes with decidedly safe design schemes awash in natural colors, but not anymore. Uh, all new condominiums recently that are languishing on the market think um, are thinking to change that. And the past in the past year, with the number of developers hiring cutting-edge designers to create eye-catching model units that are anything but generic. So, in other words, what used to be you know kind of generic, kind of plain, kind of whatever. Now the developers are saying, okay, we need to sell quicker than we have been selling. So. Maybe we need to change up the decor. Maybe we need to change up the presentation of. Are you seeing that out there? And what do you think uh, it's, does it make a difference in, in a faster sale? I, I don't know. I mean, I will just say that I think that um, there's been an evolution that's occurred with our developers where, um, you know, lifestyle living affordable to the billionaire row is is got to have a stark architect and it's got to have all these things. And if you're going to value engineer it, and not have necessarily a star architect, but you're going to have a designer that is uh, world-renowned or nationally renowned, you're going to be able to, it's going to be a little more of a curating and a marketing component. That being said, it's still going to come down to dollars. dollars. Yeah, you have to get people in the door to see the change in aesthetic. And if they're not coming in the door, then everything you've just done to the apartment to get people to see it differently isn't going to matter. Isn't going to matter. So, again, as we keep saying, it's about price. 
Price. I mean, price. It used to be location, location, location. location. And if you're looking at H, if you're looking at HFZ's projects, because we were talking about the the Highline project X and I'm not quite sure how to call that. Is it X and one? Um, Their towers, but I I also believe you have to uh, you have to recognize that particular developer has over three million square feet. Correct. And they are trying to distinguish themselves for each of their investors. And um, and that that comes that's part of the recipe, if you will. I, I'd say price, but it still is price plus the story that you're living and that you're telling. Uh, because in a sea of so much inventory that came onto the market in this last year, that's where I think punctuating the story of a particular unit or building is important because buyers have so much stuff to sort through. So they qu- they kind of need something demanding attention. But it isn't just let's make it crazy looking for the sake of making it crazy looking. It still has to connect with the reason why a buyer might want to live there. All right. Coming up after the break, we're going to talk about a marketing strategy. And we're going to talk about special risk section in new condo development sales. We will be right back after these brief messages, so don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. At Halstead, we know that what moves you is important. We're all about the power of transformation. We're revolutionizing the way people live and work. We are agents of change. We are the deal makers. We are the fearless negotiators. We are the future builders. So you can move to what moves you. I'm Jeff Goodman at Halstead, and I love Vince's show. I host a program of my own, but not about real estate. Rediscovering New York is about our city's great neighborhoods, their history, texture, and their current vibe through interviews with historians, business owners, and interesting neighborhood personalities. We're broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc and available on iTunes, Spotify, and other podcasts. Rediscovering New York with Jeff Goodman. I bring the city's great neighborhoods to life. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll free in North America at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. 
Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back. And you know what? We're going to be talking about a marketing strategy for 2020. And, you know, it's only the third week of January. But if you don't have a marketing plan, at least floating around in your head, I begin to wonder about that. So um, I'm not really talking about pouring money into online advertising or getting a face on local on a local park bench or on a, on a bus that goes zipping by. You need to build a strategy based on fundamentals of sound business. This is the most effective way to ramp up lead generation and get more referrals in the new year from your existing base of, of you know clients that you've worked with before. As you create your 2020 marketing plan, make sure you include the three must-have elements. A, marketing pieces that add value. They must add value, a personalized follow-up strategy. And third, a system of tracking. You can't have all of this in place without tracking your performance or tracking your achievements because what's the point, right? If you're on a diet and you don't step on the scale day one and then you step on it, you know, midway through, you really don't know at the end, you know, the the, the actual, you know, results of it all. So what are you guys thinking about as far as, you know, changing up your strategy? I mean, none of us are in this business for a minute. We've been around for a long time. So what are you guys thinking about changing up in your current business plan that may be different from last year? And is it based on market? Is it based on opportunity? Is it based on, right. you know, referrals? What is it based on and what are you doing? I think for, for I can speak for myself because I'm pretty vigilant about this for myself. And, um, you know, looking at the process of setting goals, it starts with setting goals. Mm. And so, you know, I am and writing them down. My goal is literally if I'm trying to accomplish 50 million in sales a quarter, which is what I'm trying to do, then how do you do that? And so right now for January, I'm literally negotiating on $28 million with listings or buyers. And the big shift that I've made, I've always had a robust buying uh, exclusive as well as buying because I started as like the one bedroom queen uh, when I started in the business and being a buyer's broker. But, you know, where it is at is the ability to educate your buyers. And so I am taking eight to 10 buyers out a week. And that is throwing it up against the wall and making sure that they're in the know and queuing them up to build their team, to get their attorney, to get their bank stuff so that when they are educated, I don't even care if those apartments are on the market because we will wait for the right apartment, and that's exactly. what's happened. I did. We we paid all of those dues October, November, and December, January. They're all paying off. It's yeah. called planning. Understanding the mindset of of the buyer right now is just so important. To Louise's point, half the time when the buyers are ready to buy the property that's that they're comparing everything else to, the one that kind of just sits in their mind, it's usually gone. But by the time they actually move on something. They're going to be. They're going to know everything. Confident. They're they're going to be confident. They're going to know everything there is to know. And I always tell a buyer, let that one go because you're never going to buy something you don't love. So right. something else will come around that you love. But in addition to educating your buyers, you have to educate your sellers because another another aspect of this is sellers being able to take advantage of upgrading and understanding that you might take a hit on the sale. Or I mean, the market has shifted in the last couple of weeks a little bit. So. You know, some people There's are actually depending on where yeah. you bought it. So yeah, so, some people are actually you know not that unhappy, um, but it's an opportunity to take advantage of if you if you you're in a two one and you need a two two or a three two or something like that, you can actually get a really good deal now still. So, so. we we as attorneys sometimes get set up right when the exclusive has been signed for the sale, so we get retained by the fellow brokers who refer the sellers to us yep. and they come and say, look, we don't have an accepted offer. I was just 
we're just putting on the market and we want you to be the lawyer. So as soon as the deal sheet is hit and the accepted offer is, is secured, we want you to send the contract out. And the same thing on the other side, on the buyer side. Sometimes a broker calls me up and says, look, I'm referring a client to you. She does. She didn't find what she wanted yet, but she's in the market and she'll definitely use you. So therefore, meet each other, get to know each other, be prepared, yeah, be ready. It's yeah. building your team. It's, uh, right. it's I think building that team. That's part of the, the systems. You know, like you were talking about uh, following up with people, the question of CRM, et cetera. I think this has to go with the idea of systems. What is the checklist that has to take place for your buyer or seller to succeed? My, yeah. And so if you have this checklist like clockwork, every time you work with a buyer, you know you're going to do consultation, you're going to get out with them, you're going to introduce them to the right team members, then it's not something that just sort of happens on the fly like, oh, yeah, I forgot we want to make an offer, but I forgot to introduce the idea of using an attorney or talking mm-hmm. to a lender. You, yeah, yeah, I think also, you know, for me and, and, and my processes, we I have a CRM for the first time in 30 years. Which, you know, I had 24,000 <laughs> contacts, literally in Outlook, which is frightening. Um, that being said, what I also, part of my marketing, I've transitioned focusing on buyers, but I, I'm certainly not abandoning all my, my listings and my relationships with my developers or my sellers, but I've become very, very data-driven. In other words, I'm not putting together a comparative marketing analysis with everything that sold three months ago because it is not relevant. What's relevant is what's in contract, how many price reductions did those people have mm-hmm. before, and even now, sending them anything that, that is on the market and newly listed, I'm picking up the phone and calling the brokers and saying, What's happening in the last four days? And it's like we had 28 people at the open house. I'm like, aha, that is a that is a direct reflection of how they chose to price that apartment. So that strategy yeah. of being data-driven is the form of educating my clients. And it te- it's time in. It's leaning into that upfront work so that they can be more informed in why. And we still have to combat brokers who want to just tell owners what they want to hear, but they always come back when they are unsuccessful if it's not data-driven. I think data data today is more important than it's ever been before. One last point on that. What about collateral pieces? Anything in particular that's working or that's new in your plan this year? Postcards, in, increase in postcards rather, uh, maybe some social media um, uh, you know, advertising. We've shifted a lot Any more particular? to digital. We've switched a lot more to digital, but respectfully those owners they want to see their they want the fluff and you're going to have to always have it straddled with all of the other components my relationship and and what i found is important when you when i lose business to a great broker who has an industry great reputation i usually am not disappointed because um i think that when we are aligning ourselves with each other um that is when we are best you know, marketing and um, benefiting our owners. For us on, as, on the legal end, if I may just, yeah, it's all about relationship. It's about reputation and it's about who you are and what you produce and building a relationship with the fellow brokers or the former clients and maintaining such relationships as the years go by. That is where it distinguishes you from the other people. Um, uh, talking about collateral, though, I think that I think that mailing um, mailings can actually be really interesting nowadays because so many people have gone digital, and we've gone digital too. But we realize that if we can do some mailings that actually add value, talk about the neighborhood, not just the apartment, 
things that they've seen a hundred times. And, you know, I still get in, in, in my mail these postcards that are just, you know, meaningless. Um, but to do something that adds value to the building, to the neighborhood, and make it a little bit more than just about your listing, then, I mean, I've had pretty good success on, on that kind of thing. I agree with that. I mean, you know, postcards, and, and we all live in buildings here in New York City, and we all get a ton of postcards, and they really are valueless, you know, these days. I mean, maybe a closing card makes more sense than anything else, but when I when I stand by the mailbox and I see people just dumping cards in the, in the trash... Without even looking at them, because I they all know. The trees. I, I know, exactly. but it's it, but it's also about the money spent to, you know, say something or advertise something that people just aren't listening to, or or paying attention to, because they they know what it is. They're not really interested, and it's a funny thing with consumers in New York, whether it's real estate or anything else they're buying. Unless they're in the market for something in particular, they pay no attention. And when they decide they're ready to buy an apartment, that's when they'll just rattle you know, the, the troops out there and get everything going. But in the meantime, it doesn't make any difference. Anyway, that's our broadcast for today. Thanks for joining us. You can follow me on Twitter, on Facebook, and on Instagram at Vince Rocco. We are back next week because if it's Tuesday morning, it's Good Morning New York Real Estate. Shoot for the moon, everyone. Even if you miss, you'll land among the stars, Jordan. Be kind to one another. (laughs) For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Now, Jordan says that the moon is... Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.